0: Welcome back to another episode of the Blue Turf. This is Thad Bell from the Blue Testament, or at least whatever we will be for the near future. And I have with me, obviously, Eric Berggrude. Well, maybe not as obvious to you, but it is to me because I'm sitting in his office at Park University. It's pretty hey, cool. Welcome,
1: Thad. Great to have you here
0: on campus. The, the
1: academic home of many Kansas City Comets and players on other teams across the MASL.
0: And many fine people that have graduated from here. Beautiful campus. I'm not loving all the parking, but I have that problem at every campus I ever go to, so... It's probably more me than anybody else. All right, we have a couple games to talk about. Uh, I don't know if we have any breaking news this week like we've had in the past, but we went in those last two games. We actually went in the last three games. You said they needed at least six points. They got four. They got four. Not as much as you had hoped for, or what what did – What's your general impression from these last two games, though?
1: So let's start with the St. Louis game. So uh, Nick Vassos and I called the game for Sirius XMFC, Channel 157. I have that emblazoned in my brain now. So we rode with the Comets to and from St. Louis, get some interesting perspectives of, of where the team is, and uh, they went into St. Louis strong, strong first half. They were up 4-1, to one, and then... St. Louis made the right adjustments at halftime and all of a sudden drip, drip, drip. Comets find themselves holding on 4-3, to gave up a game-tying goal with 9 tenths of a second left in regulation and then lost on a Duduka top-of-the-art restart in in overtime. So, sure, they got a point and they've gotten a point in every game at St. Louis this year, so I guess that's a positive. But if you look at what could have been, could have been three points on that New Year's Eve game. They wound up winning in overtime and could have been three points most recently here. In terms of positives, good game from Steven Tekeski on his birthday playing in goal. We saw Christian Andereos have a great week last week. Started with a goal in, in San Diego, two goals in uh, St. Louis, and then another goal against Milwaukee. We'll talk about that. But, They didn't hold on, and and ultimately that was the result. Something worth mentioning in that St. Louis game, several players did not make the trip, and we'll talk about that when it comes to Milwaukee's choices uh, in terms of who they brought down to Kansas City. But coaching staff made some decisions in terms of uh, which 16 to bring to St. Louis, and they did enough to win. They were just nine-tenths of a second short of
0: uh, sealing the deal. That has been a little bit of a trend in St. Louis that can't quite steal the deal there, can't quite make the finish. I mean, it's good that they're getting that close at least, but not good enough.
1: Well, and ironically, throughout the uh, SiriusXM broadcast, I commented positively on the Comets' defense. They targeted Duca, would not let him turn on his left foot, and they held him without a goal in regulation. But you get to overtime, a free kick, you think that uh that perhaps he's going to be an option out on the wing, and he decides uh to instead of Lucas Almeida, who you would expect to pass it to him, he decides to take the shot, gets it around the wall, and uh, blew it into the corner past uh, Stephen Takeski and took off his shirt and had a great celebration
0: yeah, uh, let's see, just looking back at that game, uh, you mentioned Takeski I think he played really well, especially for being you know still a, a rookie for this league. I think he's a a really solid keeper. He just he's there's obviously still that inexperience there, but I I could easily see him being a keeper in this league for many years if he if he continues to grow and develop as we think. Uh, other guys who got some time there, Junior Kazim, What'd you see from him?
1: Still a little rust in game time situation. He he definitely got a look because. Rion Marks stayed in Kansas City, so he became the other option there at at Target. Didn't, I I think he had a a fine game, but he didn't really get a good crack on goal, so I think it's a little early to make any judgment on him.
0: Yeah, I I kind of feel the same, but from having watched him in practice and last year I've when he's in the box, if he can get a ball anything bouncing around in the box, he's going to be dangerous I'm not saying he's going to put all them away, but he's going to at least scare the heck out of the keeper It's that in that transition in between the, the the boxes essentially He doesn't really fully understand the indoor game yet He's learning and he's getting better at it from having watched him in practice But it still is not his strong suit So if they can have possession and get a ball bouncing around in that box, I think he'll have he'll, he'll score some goals at least be uh, fighting for you know, playing time in there.
1: The, the player that for most of the game impressed me the most was actually Odane Sinclair on the back line matching up with De Duca. Uh, and unfortunately for him, he got flagged for a two minute penalty. And I was very intentional about flag. We're not talking about football. Uh, uh, the review from Jeff Locker on uh, what wound up being a uh, legal use of a hands above the shoulder, and uh, that's what led to the power play opportunity at the end of regulation. And he wound up being the person who kicked the ball out of bounds that led to the Duduka goal in mm-hmm. overtime. You put those two plays aside, and he had one of the strongest games, I thought, for, for the Comets in St. Louis.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I've, I'm sometimes critical of Odane because he's not the fastest guy out there. But he played really well, and all credit to him for what he did. The That hand that got up there was, I think, very inadvertent. It wasn't anything dirty at that point or, any you know, trying to hurt anybody or anything like that. I understand. It's the rules. It's the rules. That's the way it is. But, it, you know, it's just sad that it had to end that way for him.
1: Well, unfortunately, if, if one more second not – even giving up a goal, we wouldn't even be having this conversation right, right? It just that that's the way indoor soccer, goals, it, or soccer goes it soccer goes it's It's a matter of fluky plays, weird bounces, weird circumstances cause and effect and and it is what it is but in general, I saw enough of them that they can compete on the road, but you still have to get the three points
0: one of the uh controversies on uh, some of the social media was not taking the full strength lineup to both games. I have some thoughts, but I would like to hear yours. So I was good. If you want to call it that, that on,
1: on Friday night, I was chatting with uh, some of the players. I'm like, yeah, I'm looking at Facebook. Should I comment? And they're like, no. So I wound up trying to get some rest on the, on the bus ride back to Kansas city. But I noticed the same thing with Milwaukee fans the next night, and I did have back and forth with Milwaukee fans. Here's the deal, so in a couple cases, there were players who were playing with injuries who were being expected to go back to back, and I can attest, since I was on that trip, I did not get home Friday night until 3.20 in the morning, so technically Saturday morning. That's a very short turnaround if you're not 100%. So I very much understand why some decisions were being made. And I would say that the next night, Milwaukee came into town with an even more challenging turnaround. They played at home, won in a battle against Florida, and then drove down after the game to Kansas City. That's expecting a lot for bodies that that might need some time to rest. And the Milwaukee fans were even louder in their – Let's call it dismay for the the decision to, in their case, not bring seven players who had played Friday night into the Saturday game.
0: I was uh, actually talking to one of their players. I was doing photos from the bench, and they're right next to me. Uh, There was a period where I was just kind of I said, "Hey, how's it going? You know, how was the trip down? You know, just kind of BSing a little bit." And like, "Oh yeah, we got in at eight this morning, and you know, we got a little nap, and then we play." And that's, I mean, that. That sucks. The Comets have done that turnaround too many times already this season, and they, they suffered for doing that also. But I understand fans like, oh, yeah, you know, and I know you've brought this up in the past. The old days, they'd play three and three and in the weekend and the MPSL and et cetera, et cetera. I, I still need to go back and look at rosters and some of those games and see how many of those players played all three games in that sort of situation.
1: Well, and there's a couple different. So I've had time to think about it this week, that after getting challenged on this, defending uh, Milwaukee coach uh, Giuliano Oliveiro. So in the NPSL days, and think about the Kansas City attack. So you're going to the East Coast, potentially you're looking at Cleveland, Baltimore, Harrisburg, or Philadelphia, Baltimore, Harrisburg, or some version of that. You're you're doing an airplane out there, and then maybe riding. This is this is, bus, serious bus right. duty that, that's happening in this league. And so the circumstances are a little bit different. And uh, decisions are different. And so it's very easy to go back to, quote, unquote, in the good old days, we did this. But the circumstances are a little bit different. And I would say the sports medicine is different today than it was in the 90s where... The wear and tear on athletes' bodies maybe wasn't as cognizant as it is today.
0: And that's actually a point I was going to bring up: is the, the the whole sports medicine, the science, the the understanding of what players can and sh- and should and should not do. Uh, you know, back in the back in the '80s, you know, hey, your recovery was go eat a plate of pasta and a drink a beer and. Well,
1: there were players in the MISL days who were smoking too. So if we want to go back to quote unquote, the good old days, there were some habits back then that nobody would recognize as, as good sports science today. You have to adjust for your times.
0: Yeah. So it does make a difference. It does make a more informed decision for the coaches, the staff, to have that ability. And, you know, nobody is going to suggest that MISL teams have the, full science staffs that an MLS team has or a Premier League team has. But these guys do have, you know, this knowledge that wasn't there 10, 20, 30 years ago. So they're they're recommending players play or not play or, you know, be short shift or whatever it is. And the coach has to make a decision based upon those facts. You also have to make a decision on playing young guys sometimes to get them experience. You know, maybe they're the third Uh, target forward or maybe they're the fifth defender in a rotation or whatever it is you get them time so i i understand why people will say oh you got to go for every point right now but you also got to have players that will survive to the next two games weekend and the next you know the end of the season and making the playoffs that's all part of it and i can't say that we can't should never be critical of that or look at it like hey why did you know I'll sometimes say, hey, I'd, I'd rather see this guy play than that guy play. But I also know that I don't know everything behind the scenes of maybe that other guy has got a knock that I don't know about.
1: So, so here's what makes it challenging. So I've thought about this, too, because I've seen Comets fans who are wanting more information are actually posting on Comets social media. What can you tell us about fill in the blank? We're in an age where transparency is expected, and yet teams want to be careful about how much information they share. So let me give you an example. Nick Vassus and I were trying to finalize our program for Saturday night's game. And a little birdie told me that Milwaukee was gonna be making some lineup shifts to uh, bring to Kansas City so it wouldn't be the same players. And we had already worked out not only the interview and i was pretty confident willie b was making the trip he had already confirmed so we're set but typically we we spotlight a player on each team and i had a pretty good sense that the player we wanted to spotlight wasn't going to make the trip but there was no confirmation on this and so we're like the fans in terms of we don't always know what the decisions are and and if fans get impatient my response to the fans are well i guess we're all in the same line because we wound up having to adjust. And, and as it turned out, we, we took the safe selection. We picked IB 26 as our spotlight player. And right after the kickoff, he scored a goal. So I guess it made us, made us look pretty good.
0: Yeah, well, uh, that's a pretty informed decision based upon who he is, who Milwaukee is, and what your knowledge. But, I mean, I, I'll refer back to MLS. I used to be able to go to sporting Kansas City practices pretty much anytime I wanted. and watch practice, and it was real easy. And I could see players who are participating in the first team or not and et cetera. And each year has gotten a little more restrictive, a little more restrictive, a little more restrictive. And if I tweeted out a lineup from practice that I thought was going to be that weekend's lineup, I would probably not be at the next practice or the next game because they, they very tight on that same goes through most, most professional sports nowadays. They don't want that information out there. And if they're giving that information out there that they're pretty damn cocky, they're going to win quite honestly.
1: Right. And I think that so it's finding that balance and giving enough information for media sources, for fans to know what's going on. But you don't want to tip your hat as well, particularly if you're going to make changes.
0: So I try to go on the line that I will try to get that information so that I can respond after the fact that, oh, this is why Rion didn't travel. He had a knock and they didn't want him playing two games in one weekend, you know, or this or that. I'll try to get that information. Won't always be able to. But I will rarely put that stuff out there ahead of time unless it's something clearer and obvious, which I think we'll actually get to one of those here in a couple of minutes. So, so let me go to that point with Rian. I, I believed that the Comets had
1: 16 players who could win the game. Yeah. So regardless of who stayed in Kansas City, they had enough talent to beat St. Louis. They just didn't do it. We can talk about the Milwaukee game and, and what fans in Milwaukee were saying, but but for Comets fans listening to this episode, there there was enough talent on that team to win that game, and they were just this close from, from having done it. And if they had done it, I don't know that we would have seen a lot of or as many comments about why did they not bring the full
0: no. set of players. I don't think we would have seen nearly as many. Going to Milwaukee, the Mo- Milwaukee game... Honestly, that game was a 50-50 game until shortly into the third quarter.
1: So let's talk about that cuz I had a exchange on Twitter with a Milwaukee fan who dates himself back to 1991, so I guess we could compare our our CVs and our history and, and go there, but I'd mentioned that Milwaukee was leading in the first quarter yep. and the response back, well that was just a quarter, but the game was tied at halftime, right? It so was. for for 30 minutes of action, it was back and forth, and it wasn't clear who was going to win the game. I think the X factor was what happened right after the kickoff and the unfortunate incident with James Togba going headfirst into the, into the boards, which wound up being a two-minute penalty. But that changed the momentum completely for both teams. I think it shocked Milwaukee, and I think it motivated Kansas City, and you saw how the teams reacted right after that.
0: No, I think that's exactly the. That's exactly the point I was going for. Also, is that when Togba went down, uh, I mean, both both benches. Again, I was actually in the on the comments bench shooting, and I saw reactions. I saw the players on Milwaukee. You know, uh, I saw them coming up and telling their coach, you know, what happened, and you know, we didn't. You know, we didn't try to do this. We didn't mean this. We we're you know they were remorseful, and uh, the comments were all very concerned and very worried but they also look very determined. And when we talked to a couple players and and Leo after the game, it was, we said, you know, that that maybe turn the game, that, that, you know, yeah, we're not going to lose for James. We're not going to lose for togs or how are they referring to in different ways. We, you know, we, we were going to win this game for him. So
1: it's, for me, it's hard to multitask and somehow I'm expected to do that as an announcer in this league. And so I was watching the Twitch chat in the third quarter, as um, as things were progressing. And that's when Milwaukee fans started commenting about, hey, we're short seven players. And I have made an observation online that, hey, this is what Milwaukee fans are saying. But if Milwaukee wins the game, they're going to say, look, we won with all without all our best players. And so I get that perspective. But really, I think it, you're right that it was that incident that changed the momentum and the trajectory of the game.
0: Uh, Absolutely was in my opinion. Um, it, it seemed to be in the comments opinions I didn't talk to any of the the wave players after the game about that, but I'm a hundred percent sure that that made the biggest difference uh, I mean, I'm gonna say, you know, hopefully there's a bright spot in this and that the Comets Keep that momentum going because they've had a lot of games where they were they bike They were clearly the best team in one half and clearly the worst team in a second half or You know it, that sort of thing so just this was probably one of their more complete games overall. If Togba had went down, you'd like, oh, that's you know, you could say, oh, the Wave didn't bring their players, or you could say the Comets found their groove.
1: Well, the other thing that I noticed, San Diego did a terrific job man marking Leo the, uh, the previous Sunday, and St. Louis helped Leo at bay that Friday night, and for me. It was the matchups, the space that Leo either had or created for himself, that was the huge difference on, on Saturday night. So so we picked him as a spotlight player, and it was, was sort of a, okay, you know that, that Bennett's going to score, so Leo's got to kind of do something to counterbalance that. And he winds up scoring four goals and uh, created all sorts of space, had a couple assists on top of that, and, and that was huge. We hadn't seen the Comets hit double digits since last March. So we'll see if that's a one-off or whether that's something they can build upon as they head into Milwaukee this weekend and then they get another crack at St.
0: Louis next week. It, it was kind of funny. I was talking with somebody before the game about who maybe needed to step up the score cuz who hasn't been scoring and honestly, we named Leo, uh Lucas and Lucia. And guess who all scored that Imagine game? Imagine that. Imagine sure. that. And,
1: and Lucas, that was sort of a gimme at the end yeah. with the six attacker. But Lucia, that sort of another interesting case. Breakout rookie year. Everybody watches the game film. They know he wants to go to his left, and yet he found space on his left. That um, I can't remember if it was the first or the second goal, but one that was top shelf. Milwaukee defender decides to barrel roll him to – to prevent a shot on the ground, and he signs, fine, I'm just going to go up right underneath the crossbar, and that's the Lucia Tetsane we saw all of last season.
0: Yeah, so, again, hopefully that's a, a sign of him finding his groove this year. Same for Leo. So,
1: so the other person I thought had a strong game, didn't score a goal, was, was Rion because – he looked more comfortable out there. He looked more fit out there. He was battling against defenders. He was laying off the ball well. And I thought that was the most complete game, even without scoring a goal, that we've seen so far this season.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. He's had his moments this year. But he's he's been battling that injury all year, which maybe it was good he didn't go to St. Louis. Imagine that. Hmm. There's a reason
1: for everything, fan.
0: Yeah. And when we talk about these games, it's always easy for us to like to look at a point where Togwa got hurt and everybody's, you know, comments unleashed their scoring at that point, uh, or Milwaukee didn't bring seven players or etc. It's not always it's not one or the other. It's sometimes a combination of both. If Milwaukee had brought their full team, you know, maybe Huffman's out there laughing at somebody being injured and you know, I'm not saying he would do that, but he, he would you'd never know what kind of thing he stirs up, you know, or other players. So
1: Well what's interesting is I was uh watching the comments Friday night from St. Louis and seeing a commentary and, and comments fans have been fairly critical. No, let me rephrase that. Some comments fans have been critical of nicolas Neto this year and seeing a comment that, well, if Neto had started, we would have won the game. It's like it's situational convenience in, in terms of how, how some people see the game. And as you said, it's, it's more complicated. I argue that with Tekesky and goal, Comets probably played a little bit differently than they would with Neto in in a positive way. They were tighter defensively. For all intents and purposes, that was a 4-3 game, which would have been one of the best defensive efforts of the season for the Comets had not that last-second goal gone in in regulation. And so in some ways... The Comets played more as a team because Neto wasn't playing, not to take anything away from Neto because Neto winds up making 20 saves on Saturday night against Milwaukee when they needed it. It's just it's hard to compare one situation with the next, and as you said that, there's so many different factors that come into play. It's not just so cut and dry.
0: It is really common in my observations that a different keeper will have a different defense in front of them and that's that's indoor soccer that's outdoor soccer that's hockey they you know uh defenders and will play a little tighter they'll they'll block a few more shots uh they'll they'll give less opportunities you might get a little less scoring on the other end of it but that's very typical and that's not a criticism of of Neto or tukeski in this case it's just reality you have a rookie goalkeeper i think he did well like we said we mentioned before uh, but, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's been that way in a lot of different sports, a lot of different games. Um, one thing we didn't – I mean, we mentioned Togba, but we, but we never really – we haven't really discussed that too far. Uh, he went into the boards headfirst, essentially, uh, was pretty much out from the get-go. Uh, I know there were – like I said, a lot of people were worried about that. The latest that we have <laughs> – Gathered it was I mean he was he was released that night. He went to the straight to the hospital He was conscious and all that when he left, but when he got to the hospital uh, They checked him out MRI whatever other things they do to check. They said he had a concussion and he was released I've heard uh, I've, I should say I've heard but it's been it basically said that he had a very serious concussion So I would not expect him back anytime soon. I mean I haven't heard like a timeline because concussions you don't really give timelines you give treatment and when they're to achieve a certain point then you can do certain things and then you can get into games and such like that you know some guys can two guys can get same hit and one be back in two weeks and one be back in three months so
1: well and so don't expect him this sunday at milwaukee And then we'll see what happens in February. Comets do have some home games in February, which not just for for Togba, but for other players, getting a break from traveling long distance, that is a good tonic for this franchise.
0: Yeah, and if you want to find out who Leo thinks is the best team that he has that's healthy, look for this weekend because they only have the one game. I don't know who that will be. Haven't you know, And if I knew exactly who was injured, I wouldn't say it, so Milwaukee wouldn't know. But. Well, and that's
1: going to be an interesting matchup because if you recall, the last time there, Milwaukee was destroying the Comets. The Comets battled back and then gave up a, another last-minute goal to Derek Huffman, who had some interesting comments to say after the game, which is fine, which then sparked a suspension, suspar- sparked some, yeah. uh, let's say, circling the wagons by the Milwaukee fan base. And so this is Kansas City's first trip back to uh, to the UWM Panther Arena. And so I expect it to be intense. I, I still believe this rivalry is the most intense in, in the MASL. Some Milwaukee fans may think their Baltimore rivalry is. I guess that's a, a value judgment. But this is a, a huge game for both teams milwaukee finds themselves in first place but with a bad taste in their mouth having lost their first game of the year to kansas city this past saturday night for kansas city they're in third place with baltimore in the the rearview mirror baltimore plays at harrisburg this weekend harrisburg is struggling this year i think it's safe to say and so you, you, you really can't look at the schedule and hope that other teams solve your problems for you you have to take care of your own business getting points this weekend is is imperative for the comments I didn't say winning in regulation I said getting points
0: well it, and that's a uh, again that's always going to be a situational thing too if you go play in Harrisburg you gonna say you got to get a win if you're gonna say you're going to Milwaukee you're gonna say you gotta get points because they're all those teams are in different places of their season journey although i expected milwaukee to be good and i didn't expect harrisburg so
1: well it's and like a broken record i've been saying on on multiple uh, episodes that getting ready for the playoffs is the ultimate goal here yes it would be nice to win the regular season eastern conference title but but ultimately you want to play yourself in a position where you have a relatively healthy lineup and a team that that is confident that they can go into anybody else's arena and, and win. Because in the playoffs, you get to a quarterfinal, semifinal matchup, and you're looking at home and home plus a potential extra game at the higher-seeded team. And so if the Comets wind up being a three-seed or a four-seed, they're going to have to win some games on the road. Yep. That's their journey to the Ron Newman Cup Championship.
0: Yeah, a uh, relatively healthy and informed team that is playing well at that point. They have to, you know, you don't want the peak to be in the beginning of the season like essentially that it was for the Comets last year. They they were lights out in the first part of the season, and then eh, not so much the second half.
1: So let's talk about another player who's shown flashes, but he hasn't been able to get consistent playing time. Is uh, Milos Vucic got his first action here on Saturday night. Flashes of brilliance. Yep. He is still learning the indoor game. We've seen his – his goals on YouTube, he has a cracker of a shot. He's still trying to figure this out. He doesn't have a full season of indoor soccer experience to draw upon, but if if he can keep getting game time through January, February, heading into March, for me, he's an X factor for the Comets moving forward because he's somebody who could be a, a game difference type player.
0: Yeah, I agree. When I've watched him in practice, he. He's very good. He's he, he has a tremendous amount of skill, but you can see him like look every once in a while, like why did everybody just do this and I was not in on it, you know? Right, he's not. He, right. he doesn't understand the game that well yet. Uh, but I think he has the potential to be if he continues to play this game for another year or two, he could be one of the best players in the league, if not, you
1: know. Well, and and then injuries are are an unknown, so. We've talked at length about James Togba's head injury and concussion in Kansas City. Benji Monreal had a really uh, nasty head-to-head incident in San Diego. And so some of these things you can't control for, and different teams deal with injuries throughout the year. Sometimes it feels like you're the only team that is dealing with everything, but that's ultimately part of sports.
0: Yeah, it's it's never the truth that you're the only one. Sometimes you're the most affected one. I mean – Last year was Sporting Kansas City, two DPs out for the entire year. Uh, that just – it the, It was the visa issues affecting a lot of teams in the MSL, especially the Comets, and that's one reason you have Milos back now because he was not training for a while because it was looking grim that he was even going to be able to play. So uh, you have uh, Christian and Andereos. Ander- He's looked really good, scored how many goals now? Four
1: goals the- in, the, in last, those last yeah. three games. Yeah. So.
0: yeah and he's a little, he's a little less of a defensive runner and more of a true midfielder ish now so it's always hard to describe indoor soccer players at this exact position since it rotates so much but he's been more of a midfielder not that defensive runner and all of a sudden he's got four goals he's one of the, the one of the goal leaders on this team
1: and, and they have options in the midfield which it, it was a love to say a little bit thinner it was a lot thinner say about a month or so ago and now there's options and now there's questions how do you come up with the top 16. yeah and and there are going to be players that are quality players that aren't going to make the cut they're going to be the 17th or the 18th player and uh watching in the stands rather than than suiting up
0: yeah and it's i mean there it's it's past this the 17th and 18th at this point because extra keeper uh guys that i know have scored and been key contributors in the past and new guys who look like they have that potential that are not getting playing time. They're just not going to because they're not in that top group. I think that
1: the, let's just call it the challenge for the Comets as we look at the Milwaukee game and head towards that St. Louis game is depth in the back with, with Togba's situation that pretty much requires coach Leo Gibson to, to line up Odane Sinclair as a defender. And so how many healthy defenders can you count on as as this team? And, and that, for me, it is the challenge. Do they have midfielders? They have so many midfielders. <laughs> I think it's just a question of who's available at a certain time. They've been challenged up front, but now it looks like they have the options they need at target. And as you said, they have three goalkeepers. It's healthy defenders, and it's not just bodies. It's the combinations of players. Do you have enough speed back there to match with either physical defenders or offensive minded defenders.
0: All right, um, uh, I think we've covered the last two games pretty well. We've talked about the next game pretty well. I'm, uh, I'm going to turn the tables on you a little bit. How was it to call the the, the game for Sirius Satellite Radio, Sirius XM Sirius XM FC XMFC, channel 157. 157. Yeah, which is great. which is actually what I was listening to as I drove here to talk to you.
1: Well, on, on a personal level, it, it was a bit surreal because I, I used to have to, when I grew up in Los Angeles, drive around town trying to pick up a, a radio signal. So to have been on the fan side just hoping to get some soccer on radio to being able to call on satellite, that, that's quite a trip. That, in, in terms of the actual game, it was interesting because we were parked uh, adjacent to the St. Louis Broadcasting of Joey Zanaboni and, and Matt Rocchio who were calling the game for Twitch, but we couldn't hear them because we had headphones on. So all the screaming, all the excitement, we were tuned out because we were in our own thing. The family arena puts us up at midfield, which is a very different view than the Cable Dome arena where we're in the corner. So it, it, it was a great vantage point. I think what's different for radio is more so – yeah, Nick Bassos has been doing this for a long time. He got his start as the attacks radio announcer, so for him it was muscle memory in terms of okay, you need to be more descriptive and not rely on TV to to tell all the or half the story for you. For me, it was very different because. I like to, when I see what I think is a lull in the action, to to inject a story, and yet when you're on radio, you can't really do that. You have to constantly be in the moment and in the game because the fans listening can't see what's happening behind you or in front of you.
0: Yeah, well, I I thought you guys did really well. Um, So on Friday night, you go to St. Louis, you're on satellite radio. Saturday you come back to do your normal job plus somebody else's job? Well, actually, in a way, I had three jobs. Yeah. I take credit for
1: two. So so Nate Heron and Steve Serrano were both at, at GEHA Field at Arrowhead working the Chiefs game. And so I knew I was going to have to cover for Steve Serrano doing the on the field interview. But Nate Heron wasn't able to get there at the start of the game. And so I wound up doing public address announcing in the, in the first quarter back on. Uh, 38 the spot and twitch for the rest of the game, but also doing on the field at halftime interviews, not just with Kenny Mayer, who was uh, the bench coach for the game, but also the alumni players who were there and then back after the game, talking to Leo. So I got a decent number of steps in a Cable armor arena. Uh,
0: and your voice got a lot of, uh, a lot Oh, I of killed use. myself.
1: I, I have a lot of respect for, broadcasters for public address announcers for the sideline reporters throughout the league. I had a nice chat with, with uh, San Diego sideline reporter, Melissa May, when I was out there uh, a week ago, Sunday, this is really hard work. And for Nate Heron, what he does, I totally blew out my voice because I'm like, okay, this is my bucket list opportunity that not only do I get to introduce them, but first goal, I'm going to blow it out with goal. Then I'm going to do the patented, Ed Bishop, Kansas City Goal Call, which I had to repeat again because I did it over the music, and and, uh, the producer is like, hey, Eric, why don't you announce that again so people can hear it? And I also got to do a Rat Patrol reference. It was fantastic. So so 15 minutes of that was great, but it was uh, a little bit more comfortable being back in the booth with Nick.
0: Did you sub at the quarter, or did uh, Nate run out and jump over the board?
1: No, he came in, we were getting text alerts in terms of where he was. And then we we heard when he was in the parking lot and then we heard that he was going to come in and we're just looking for the easiest transition to get him into the box. And uh, it was in the middle of that that first quarter intermission and I'm like, okay, I'm going to run onto the field, go out this side and then rush upstairs just in time so Brian Budzinski could hand me the uh, headphones. And, And Bud did a great job covering for me as color, and uh, I have a lot of respect for the way he calls the game. He is a pure analyst. Yes. I'm, I'm sort of a hodgepodge of things, I guess, when I'm on the broadcast. Storyteller, slash analyst, slash whatever. But he really diagnoses the X and X's and O's and calls the, the game really, really technically, which I respect a lot. And he did so when he was the official color analyst, yes. along with uh, Nick Vasso several seasons ago.
0: And And what I do expect about when he's in there is he actually calls it very honestly. Like, hey, you know, Leo missed that one. He he screwed this up, or this player did this, or did that. I'm I'm not trying to pick on Leo here, sorry. Um, But I love that he's uh, very honest about that. I love that you guys are really, you know, pretty honest about how you guys call the games and stuff like that. And my only disappointment when the St. Louis game was I I could not get the satellite uh, radio and the Twitch feed to line up. because every time I'd pause one, they would, it would jump forward anyway. Long story. But I was kind of disappointed about that.
1: Well, we knew that was going to be a problem based on what we heard when we got to the arena. We knew there was going to be a little bit of lag. And so the league has been intentional about this too, about treating these as two different properties and not a simulcast. Right. Because not only with the potential lag there, but, but more importantly, how you call a game for radio is very different than TV. And so... Just as I was saying, we had to be intentional about calling the action for radio. That would really change how we call the game for Twitch and 38. the spot if we were doing everything at once. And so I I think they were smart to say, we're going to bring in a separate announcer or announcers for for the radio spots. And uh, so Ray Biggs, who is the Utica City FC announcer, is going to cover the next game in St. Louis, which I think is great. We uh, have a Comets game here against Florida, so we weren't going to give up the Comets to to go for uh, Sirius XM FC, Channel 157. But we will be back at the Family Arena on St. Patrick's Day for a Harrisburg and St. Louis game, and then come back uh, the next day to call a Comets game on 38th, the spot, and Twitch.
0: So that would be a good road trip for Comets fans to go make, right? Yes, if they want to. All right. Anything else we should have covered this week, Eric?
1: I think we covered a lot. It, it, we're at the half point, uh, halfway point, if you're a Comets fan. Third place, respectable. I think that the the players, the front office, much of the fan base, we're expecting to be one or two at this point. There's still 12 games to play. They're, we're now at the point where teams are going to be battling against each other every game in the Eastern Conference and uh, – Although I think Milwaukee has the inside track to, to win this conference. At the I moment. Think, at the moment, I think all sorts of scenarios are possible.
0: Yeah, and actually, if, uh, if all the teams had played 12 games at this point, I would probably say there's not bad because of all the difficulties the Comets have had that they can make the run. But not all the teams have still played. You know, There's still games out there with nine or teams out there with nine and ten games played, which means they have games in hand to make up more points which could easily take the Comets down to fifth place if everything went wrong.
1: I think what it's safe to say is the Comets have to treat every home game as a must-win, and what I mean by a must-win is three points. Right. Regulation win, absolutely. And then look at where you're going to pick off points on the road. I, I we'll, we'll talk later on about playing in Florida, which could be huge, because if you look at these teams that are bunched together near the top, Florida, Kansas City, Milwaukee, and then uh, – Milwaukee on the top, but but also Baltimore, and and playing against Baltimore, huge matches coming up, right. and so as we start getting later into the schedule, those become more and more critical.
0: And we, I know we've talked about this in the past, but a very unbalanced schedule of comments have got two rival teams that they play, they will they will have played throughout the season six times each, so that's twelve of their twenty four games. Uh, you know, you may not have some of the teams that are a little less likely to get points off. You know, take points away from you, so they don't get as much of that opportunity as some other teams do. That's just the way the schedule is, and you got to live with it. But that will probably affect how the uh, the final standings are.
1: And yet, the comments knew that going into the schedule. The yeah. schedule was was published. Everybody knew yeah. what was expected. No games against UCFC. Two games against Harrisburg. So. There were going to be challenges but ultimately teams find a way to weather those challenges and as an example i don't couldn't tell you other than the empire strikers how many times san diego soccers play every other team in the league but they don't seem to be having a problem with an unbalanced schedule in the western conference so teams will rise to the occasion
0: no, they're very very true well, one other piece of news that i meant to bring up but it was the the trade st louis sending uh,
1: Stefan Miatovich to UCFC. So there's a front story and a back story, I would assume, that I guess the front story is that Everton, who is the new UCFC coach, coached Miatovich in St. Louis. I believe he brought him in. So once I saw that trade, that made sense. That would be a logical place to go. The back story is that... He wasn't playing 100% of the time, couldn't tell what was happening with, with St. Louis and Miatovich's place there. So kind of wondered when we didn't see him suit up for that Comets game in St. Louis, why wasn't he in the lineup? Well, there, you, maybe there you go. All
0: right, good question. All right, we will uh, talk to you later. Thank you again, Eric, for joining me as always, and we are out.